Oh, okay, right, and we are live. Ladies and gents, welcome back to Aid Thompson and Other Disappointments, episode 242 now. Uh, what's up? How's it going, people? Uh, fellow boosters, fellow influencers, fellow fans of looking at the awfulness of life, love, the universe, news, politics, dystopia, and uh, trying to see the light in that dark. Uh, cheers to the Patreons and the YouTube community members for this week. It's been a bit of a mad week for us here. Um, I normally do a solo show on Tuesdays or Wednesdays. <clears throat> Frequent viewers will know. Uh, but this week, my three-year-old daughter decided to catch what I assume was the bubonic plague. Uh, it was not fun. It was, it was a lot of like oozing from the face, uh, temperature that went up with cow pole, which is the first for me and my family. Lots of coughing, lots of not eating, barely going to the toilet even, and just sleeping all day. So that's that's been fun. I took her to the GP, guys. The GP were like, uh, was like, uh, you need to get her to A&E, like, immediately. I was like, okay, well, I'll head back home. I'll grab a bag first. And they were like, well, if you need a bag, fine, but, like, don't hang about. Like, they seemed like this was urgent. I needed to get my daughter to A&E. So... I drive back home, I get a bag, like scream down the uh, the bypass near here. <clears throat> we get to Frimley A&E and I'm thinking, well, this is obviously urgent. This is an emergency. We're in accident and emergency. And the doctor seemed really freaked out. So we'll just tear straight in. There'll be a little triage. Priority one is this cute little girl. And we'll just get seen straight away. You know, they'll dose her up on steroids or whatever it is that they need to do. And so then imagine my surprise, guys, dear listeners, when... They basically took us through the thing. They were like, yeah, take a seat. We'll see you in six hours. So that was fun. Um, it's been like, she's fine now, by the way, dear listeners. Uh, she's she's on the mend. But yes, it's been, you know, it's been a week of sleepless nights, a lot of worry. Um, but now we're back once again. Um, she's got her medication and I am self, self-medicating. <laughs> Myself here. Anyway, uh, guys, yes, welcome to the show. If you're new to the show, um, pull up a pew, roll yourself a bifter, crack open a beer, whatever it is that you need to help the medicine of modern life go down. Um, I've got a guest back with us tonight. If you're watching YouTube, uh, like the live stream, um, you may recognise him from his previous appearance on the show and indeed from my appearance on his podcast before. Uh, he's a returning favourite from the last batch of podcasts that we did. Um, he's the author of uh, a book. You can find it on Amazon now. It's called Brexit, The Establishment Civil War. And he's currently in the process of writing one about GameStop, which we may or may not come on to uh, a little bit later. Uh, please welcome back to the show, my friend, Josh Hamilton. Woo! <laughs> Josh, how wow. you doing, man? That's quite the intro. Mm. Well, you've I'm doing very well. Yeah. Should we let, let's uh, tell people like where you are geographically right now? Yeah, I'm coming to you from 1600 meters up the Austrian Alps. Okay. Uh, where I've been working for the last two months, and the reason I'm still in like all my ski clothes is because I just got down from doing the beer delivery right um, to the hut at. 2000 meters so the beer delivery always involves drinking some of the beer that sure. we deliver yeah yeah you've got to test it uh, of course yeah it, it would be irresponsible not to yeah yeah um but no i've been um i've been working here for the last two months um flat out i remember enjoying myself a lot when, when we were not looking at the news or the state of <laughs> the state of affairs back home whatsoever and honestly, I'm much happier for it. Yeah. Uh, do you know what? That reminds me of a TikTok that I saw. When I first got onto TikTok, there was a really well-produced, slick-looking like music video of this incredibly gay-looking gentleman. <laughs> uh, and there was like lights and rainbows like shooting out. And the hook of this song on there was like, I don't watch the news. Maybe that's why I'm happier than you. <laughs> and it's always stuck with me. It's like, there is something in that, you know? Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, I do feel like somewhat disconnected from like the, the, the chaos that's going on in the rest of the world. Cause when I checked out of, 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 um, paying attention to what was happening, hmm. uh, we were basically on the verge of world war three, um, in several different places. Yeah. <laughs> and I was convinced that at some point while I was up here, I'd just see a big mushroom cloud from, you know, 
way over yonder and be like, oh, okay, well. How's that done? I should have been paying attention. <laughs> or would you be thinking, like, if that was me in that situation, I'd be like, whoo, <laughs> I'm glad I'm here in my bar. Like, right, well, time for one delivery. last one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, it's funny, man, like the, the, you say about sort of getting away from it all and being a bit disconnected because there's a real, uh, there's real collateral in that. There's a real uptick in it. Um, and it takes me back to uh, a couple of years ago, me, the missus and our two kids went to Thailand. And it was this was right at the beginning of the cost of living crisis really biting. And it was sort of just after the pandemic and like flight restrictions and all that. And I remember getting off the plane and going to our resort and talking to like locals and staff and, you know, other travellers and stuff. And it was jarring or, or striking how totally infrequent anyone mentioned anything like that. It was like, nobody cares about the cost of living crisis out here. Like spiking gas prices are not a thing <laughs> in Thailand. Everyone's just, yes, energy and they turn the thing on. It comes on like, and it does, it makes you think like, oh, I should, we should just move out here, you know, like just get away from the insanity of it all. Mm. Um. Is that, is that what sort of brought you out over there or is this just a thing that you do every year or what? Um, no, well, I used to do it every year and then I quit my job, um, did some music festivals, did some freelance stuff, spent some time like working on the GameStop book. And then I sort of ran out of money. So I called yeah. the owner of the, the hut and was like, so do you have anyone to run the hut this year? And he was like, <laughs> no why do you do you have someone and i was like yeah me if, yeah. if you'll have me uh and that was it i just flew out and it's it's been really refreshing to check out your stuff like it's uh you find like I, I i don't even find myself to be like curious and i know the second that i dive back in i'll be like 100 percent. like why wasn't i paying attention yeah what did i miss um but you need that space so, every so, so often don't you like i used to do a thing no news november where like my birthday's in November and from November the 1st through to November the 30th, just delete all the apps, come off Twitter. And it's just like, oh my God, there's like a whole world out there and I don't feel stressed and anxious. And I don't, and it's like that Chris Rock uh, stand-up thing where he says like, you know, you turn on Fox or you turn on CNN and it's like, what's happening with this? And, blah, blah. and then you look out your window expecting to see like explosions and people getting knifed to death or whatever. And it's like... <laughs> You know, there's n nothing's going on <laughs> out there. Everything's. I mean, like, I'm sure there's currency and there is, um, uh, th there's value in being informed. But I also think there's a place for taking a step back every now and then. You know? Yeah, definitely. I mean, like, like some of the stuff is is sort of still there. I mean, like the the business I'm working for, the guys they they've never mentioned like the price of electric before. Mm. But now they're always like, make sure everything's turned off. Yeah. You know, make sure things are, you're not wasting money on stuff. Just that like they're, they're still trying to run a business. And like, that's, that's obviously still in their head, like the price of energy basically. Yeah. And the price of everything. And like we had a long discussion at the start um, when I got here about drinks prices and food prices and like how much we had to put it up based on inflation and everything being more expensive. And then, but my my well, I mean my philosophy was make the drinks as cheap as possible and then people will spend all their money anyway <laughs> yeah but then does that like do people drink more because it's cheaper or do they just drink the same amount get smashed and go home I don't, i'm not no, sure no i feel like what happens is if they get there and say a beer is more the first beer is more expensive than they feel it should be yeah right they'll maybe have one more and then they'll maybe leave, right? Yeah. Whereas if it's cheap, they'll have three or four, and then they'll be like, oh, well, this is awesome, and then they just spend all their money. Yeah. No, fair, fair. Or, or you could do the, like, the UK method at the moment appears to be, like, shrinkflation. So mm. you will, you know, you take a, a I don't know, 30-centimeter pepperami, and then over the years, it just gets shorter and shorter, but the price stays the same. So people, in theory, don't notice it so much and just pay the same amount. It's just me getting angrier in the 24-hour garage. Every time I buy a pepperami, I'm like, this is like, it's literally half the size now. What the fuck? Yeah. No, my, to be fair, 
my mum has been complaining about this for like a decade. About pepperamis? I mean, not specifically about <laughs> pepperamis. Yeah. The one that she always used to complain about was the, the, the amount of grams in a tin of beans. Yeah. She'd be like, you used to buy a four pack of beans and it was like 500 grams each. And now it's like 343 or some weird number. Right. So we've lost like 150 grams of beans per can over the years. Oh, no. Denied. Yeah. So now, now's your opportunity, man, to, to, to explain to me What's how things on? are. Okay, so how long have you been out there for? Two months. Okay. So I, I suppose we should start with this week and then we can kind of work our way back as as, as we get on to uh, uh, more interesting and interlinked things. But like the big thing this week is, uh, or, or like the last two or three weeks. So there is this, um, uh, I don't know if they've been accurately or inaccurately described as a terror group yet, but uh, they're called the Houthi. Are you familiar mm. with them? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and the idea is that they're backed by Iran in some capacity and uh, because they're based in Yemen, they go out to sea and start th- like flying drones, but drones that can carry missiles and like firing like little rockets and stuff at British uh, oil cargo ships and also just British like um, like Navy ships. Um, and one of these attacks really kicked off the other day. And so now the UK and the US... Have gone into Yemen and done airstrikes. And normally, like historically, over the last like what, like four or five years, the UK and the US have been guilty of death and terror and bombing civilians and stuff in Yemen. But traditionally, it's been they sell the arms to Saudi Arabia, who then go and then bomb all the civilians. Right? It's sort of a roundabout way. Anyway, now it appears that the UK and the US are actually quite happy to do that dirty work themselves. Um, so that's the big thing this week. Is like. Well, we were attacked, and so that gives us the right to go in. Um, and so people will die; they'll lose their homes, their daughters and sons will lose limbs, um, and people come back home to awful scenes and stuff. And and it will radicalize the next generation of uh, next generation of um, like Islamist fundamentalists. Mm. Uh, and then we'll all get blown up on a tube in five or seven years' time and everyone will be like, who who radicalised them? <laughs> and people like you and I will be like, here's you. <laughs> you did that. Yeah, it was you. But it just struck me like, like... It was the internet. Yeah, yeah. Who? Like, What mosque did they go to? Who gives a fuck? Yeah. Like, it doesn't, it doesn't matter what mosque they went to. Um, yeah. So there's that. But it, like for me personally, as I was reading about this stuff this week, it just struck me the the echoes of the rhetoric and the components of what happened with Israel, like only Mm. like what, three or four months ago, it's like an attack happens. And then the entity with the greater military power then says, right, cool. That's our green light. In we go. Bombing, 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 civilians die, um, unstable region. uh, And it's just like, how many times do we have to go through this same thing of we've got to go in and root out al-Qaeda. We've got to go in and root out ISIS. We've got to go in. It's all about the... the um, Who came out after ISIS? I forget now. But it's the same... Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? It's like the same trajectory all the time. And we never seem to learn. Um, and the thing that irks me most, maybe, I mean, it's with the exception of the, the loss of civilian life, the thing that strikes me is like... These things are not cheap, these military operations. It's like to fly a load of like F-14s over Yemen and use up all that, like the artillery, um, the fuel, the cost of shipping, like the boat to the, like, you have to forgive me for my lack of like, you know, military terminology. I don't know any of this stuff, but like just the cost of a military operation like that. And yet like they'll find the money for that immediately. (laughs) But if you say... Do you think you could build like a bit more social housing? Ah, oh, no, 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 no. Do you think my daughter could be seen quicker at A and E? Well, yeah. Um, it's it's just a weird sort of allocation of of fun of tax money. Um, yeah. do, do you know what? Like, it's I always this. Sorry, yeah. you go. It's always it's always this like false trade off that we have to deal with. It's it's always the the. The reasons that are given 
for the monstrous military budget and the the willingness for people to spend on on yeah military interventions yeah there's always that that's the price we pay for security yeah that that the, and there's there's definitely something in that it's like no one would dare fuck with america because they have the most monstrous military budget on the planet yeah like like even china like if 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 america didn't have the reputation as the trigger happy world police right yeah for sure china would have tried to take taiwan at some point yeah but the but the, the then the the other side of it is just like it's like okay fair enough like there's um there's an extent to which that that argument has has merit but like well beyond that is the thing that always strikes me is it's like why the fuck are we getting involved in these things like yeah like, why why is the answer always military intervention and why on earth are we spending the exorbitant exorbitant amounts of money that that like you've rightly pointed out on these these interventions in in a region that that of course there's there's radical uh mm. radical groups springing up it's like it's what been like a decade of 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 war with saudi arabia we've been providing the all of the all of the bombs for and they they've been going through like i, I believe one of the worst famines um like in human history mm. as a result of the the war that they've been yeah I wouldn't even call it a war. It's just like the, the constant attack that they've been under. And the answer is always more bombs and, and not more talking. And and that's hmm. that's the part that really disturbs me. I mean, like we and, and like you said, we we've seen it in in Israel, although that's that's a horrendously genocidal, complicated situation where both sides want to just like they want to genocide each other, and I have no idea what the, the correct solution to that is. But even in Ukraine, like Zelensky wanted to sue for peace, I believe, last March. Mm. Um, and we flew Boris Johnson out to say, no, don't sue for peace. Don't engage in talks that like might result in less civilian death and, and less money in the pockets of Boeing and Raytheon and all of the, the, the richest, most despicable companies on the planet. This is the thing, man, is it's like people don't understand I mean, they, they sort of have a, a broad understanding that wars cost a lot of money, but I don't think they understand quite how much governments can make out of wars. So you'll have like a BAE systems who will sell planes, bombs, drones to all of these other countries. Uh, and it's that, like that chunk of the economy is worth so, so much. It's like like one of our our big exports is like military and defense systems and like i was saying this on a tiktok this morning but i was like you know everybody was talking about this huge windfall coming into the treasury when they cancelled hs2 like what are they going to do with this extra 30 billion and it is a lot of money but that is just the same amount of money as like bae have sold to saudi arabia um to to go and bomb yeah so if you if if one is massive the other one is massive too right like it should concern people um, but yeah, it's, it's not been broadcast in anywhere near the capacity that the, um, uh, that the Israel Gaza one, or indeed that this one is, do you, do you know, something else actually that's just popped to mind that you've, you've tapped into a, a second ago was like, so with China and Taiwan, the thing that concerns me also with this is that we're now in an era where people just feel they have a license to go into the territory that interests them if they can create a situation or allow a situation to happen that makes it look like they've been attacked like oh we've been attacked so now we've got we get we've got a right to defend ourselves so in we go so what is to stop a military superpower like china from now saying well you know we didn't want to go into taiwan but there's this little terror group in there called blah 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 and we've got to go in to stabilize the region you know mm -hmm. that's what i'd be worried yeah. about it's like you've played your your card and now they're just going to see that and go well you did it like <laughs> yeah well okay right this is going to get into wild speculation but the the initial attack from um hamas on israel that that sort of like kicked off the the whole shmang that happened over the last like six months there hmm. 
I heard a lot of people arguing in ways that were quite convincing, saying Israel is the superpower of the world for surveillance tech. Mm. It's like, do you think that they were happy to let something happen in order to have the excuse to carpet bomb mm. the Gaza Strip? So there is, I have heard this theory also that effectively Netanyahu allowed it to happen so that then that would give him the green light to go in and do whatever he pleased with that part, uh, that area. Um, I've also heard quite an interesting convincing thing about that there is actually undiscovered or unexplored oil um, just like on that coast. Oh, oh, no Yeah, way. and it was identified by a, uh, I think it was a UN body about five years ago that it was all there, but basically Gaza was so un underdeveloped itself uh, that like to, to construct the apparatus that you would need to go and then start, like it would take a lot of investment and, and they didn't think that Gaza was up at, at that level yet. So there is this theory, which I have to say, I'd I'd be open to hearing more about that. Uh, Israel may have allowed that thing to happen to then go in and then with a view to like once you've taken over that land, well the the oil is kind of yours, right? You can do whatever you like. That's worth like a hundred billion, two hundred billion maybe to to an economy like that. So I'm I I don't want to get all conspiracy about it. I don't know if that's definitely what happened, but it's it's a theory, and I was you know. Nobody's discounted it yet. Nobody said, oh, that UN paper no. was rubbish. I'm like, well, then maybe none of it's rubbish. I don't know. So apparently the BG Group, British multinational oil and glass company, yeah. have, were granted an exploration license by the Palestinian National Authority in 2000 and explored the Gaza Marine Field, which is off the coast of the Gaza Strip, but technically, I'd say, possibly under... Yeah, contained within Palestine, like legally. Anyway, it's unexploited yeah. and can contain up to one trillion cubic feet of natural gas that <laughs> has never been explored. Yeah, yeah, has never been explored for political and historical reasons. Yeah. It's like, oh, and then suddenly there's some sort of instability there that needs to be settled. And it's just, I mean, yeah, like all of this comes down to uh, I mean, these these situations come down to oil, but broadly it all comes down to natural resources, right? So if you are Taiwan and you are the world's largest producer of, is it lithium batteries or silicon or something like that? Microchips. It? Microchips, right. Um, that is a market and a resource that China will be very, very interested to, uh, uh, to absorb. Um, mm. It's got nothing to do with like, and it's the same with like Russia and Ukraine, right? Like Ukraine mm -hmm. is a, a sweetie shop of natural resources. It, like every every natural resource you could think of. It's like oil, there's yeah. gas, there's lithium, there's like, there's like yeah, yeah. iron like 40, there. And 40%, and yeah. I think it's like 40% of the world's nitrogen fertilizer comes from Ukraine. Yeah. And then everyone's still spinning this yarn about like, oh, Putin's just gone mad. That's why he wants to invade Ukraine, because he just he just wants to recreate the USSR because he's just got he's a megalomaniac. He's, he's gone nutty. It's like, why? How is it so difficult for people to understand that this one's about oil? That one's about gas. This one, you know, that makes perfect sense to me. The, the Putin's gone nutty stuff is like, <laughs> if it was that I mad, mean, like, wouldn't somebody have overthrown him or... Well, I mean, didn't they try? Oh, was, yeah. Was it the, the Wagner group? Yeah, a couple of times there's pe been people that have tried in there. Uh... Yeah. I mean, he's I mean, he's definitely suffering from like Stalin I don't know, Stalin syndrome of some form, in that like the, the circle of people around him that can say anything to him is con you know, continually getting smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. Yeah. And that could definitely make you do irrational things or things that were maybe not in the best interest or the best expectations of, of like what you'd think mm. someone like that would like someone who's clearly both setting aside all his totalitarian tendencies, clearly an incredibly intelligent operator. Mm. You don't become 
dictator of a country for 20 years and turn it from a quasi-democracy into a quasi-dictatorship by being an idiot. But it's so you unsustainable, know, that, though, isn't it? I mean, it's Yeah, like, obviously. Um, as, as you rightly point out there, if you have a shrinking circle of people that you will listen to and you're actually quite ruthless, as indeed, you know, he quite clearly is, uh, eventually you're going to get given some advice by a yes man, basically, who's scared to tell you no. And you're going to take that at face value and you're going to go, OK, this guy says yes. So, yeah, we'll go ahead and do it. And then you're going to make a bad move because he was too scared to tell you the truth. And the whole thing is going to come crashing down. Um, I suppose his hope or his gamble is that he'll pop his clogs before. I mean, I've, I've been reading stuff for about three years about how ill he is. You remember mm. when he first invaded Ukraine, everyone was like, oh, he looks like he's got cancer. Yeah, I'm like yeah. people on Twitter, like I'm a doctor. And usually when people look like that, they've got about seven months to live. So, yeah, I think he's on his way out. I'm certain of it. And now here we are like three years in. He's not mad. He hasn't got cancer. He's still very much alive. Like, um. Yeah, I mean, is it is it Putin or is it someone in a Putin mask? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, the real Putin died, Josh. Didn't you hear that? This is just, this is an actor. It's AI. It's a deep fake. I mean, you never know these days. Yeah. But, uh... We're, yeah. Didn't you post something the other day about, um, was it Rudy Giuliani? No, Mike Pence talking about no 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 oh. someone to do with trump was talking about um how some audio recording of them was a, a deep fake yeah just denying that it was them straight up was it roger stone i think it was roger stone yeah um yeah because i i love going back to this because i wrote a piece about this again about two or three years ago uh about how deep fakes were about to ruin everything uh, because I just listened to this thing on Joe Rogan's podcast where they, at that point, it was sort of in its infancy, but they had they'd done the proof of concept. And basically they took a load of samples of him talking and then generated a sort of 22nd thing of him talking about something ridiculous. It was like monkeys playing an orchestra thing or something along those lines. And that he, could be real. No, no. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you can't rule anything out from a Joe Rogan podcast these days, but... Um, but at the time I was blown away. I was like, well, if that continue, if that technology continues to develop at pace, uh, it will move to like video. You'll be able to remodel video. Um, it will end up indistinguishable. And I was thinking, what happens when you wrap politics around that? You will end up with a Putin or a Trump creating, generating faked audio of their political opponents who and it will dominate the news cycle because like cnn msnbc fox they won't have a chance to go to like a specialist team of developers if there isn't even such a thing that could decide if this was a fake or not um in time to beat their competitors who will already put it out all over the news cycle so it's just going to dominate it's going to carpet bomb the news cycle for like 24 48 hours um and then the other angle of it was it like the inverse of that is like horrible stuff is going to happen. And somebody like Donald Trump or Roger Stone or whoever is just going to go, that didn't happen. That's a deep fake. You can't believe your eyes anymore. I never said that. So like what even become like what is the truth when we live in a world where actual truth can be dismissed as fake and the fake stuff is like, oh, well, it could be true. <laughs> you know what I mean? And this Roger yeah. Stone story is like the first thing of that. Like I was like. So he, he could have ordered the murders, it was the story, for those who, who don't follow me on Twitter. Uh, the story was that Roger Stone had suggested to somebody that he wanted two Democrats taken out, like assassinated. Um, you know, did he say that? We don't know. Will we ever know is, is the question now. It's wild. Yeah, I mean, I've been, I've been kind of waiting for this be to become a problem for several years like you. And I'm mm. surprised that it hasn't. The thing that always, it's going to be, there's going to be like a year where it's an absolute wild, wild west. Yeah. And then no one will believe anything that's not like watermarked as being like an official original. Yeah. But then like, I mean, you could put in like a video into a Python like remodeler thingy and it would just regenerate like at what at what point is something un deep fakeable i just don't know if we would ever get to that i know what you mean like there must be some way to rubber stamp that this is a legit 
news yeah. report. I mean, like like something like an NFT, like an absolute digital, like non fungible stamp of like officiality. Yeah, yeah. But I'm not even sure if that's possible, and it'll take us years before we get there. So there's going to be at some point the whole deep fake bullshit for in politics is going to kick off. Yeah, and we're fucked. Yeah. <laughs> We're really fucked for a couple of years. Oh, it's going to, and and it won't just be. I mean, politics is where it will exist at its most um, serious, at its most damaging. It, like if it if it created geopolitical instability, um, <clears throat> like if it, if you had you know the the prime minister of the UK uh, at odds with a, a neighbouring prime minister because he had seen this thing that where he calls him a twat or you know and then they fall out over it and. Um, you could have that stuff, but even like way, way further down the food chain, like if you don't like a guy, like let's t- take you, for example, Josh, right? So if somebody wants to work at like heading up that bar in the two weeks that you really wanted to work there <laughs> or two mm. months or five, like however long, you could feasibly create a deep fake of that person getting up to God knows what, send it into the area manager or whatever and just go like, oh, yeah, don't hire him. Have you not seen his stuff? Look at this. Look what he's getting up to. He doesn't get the job. You walk it. Like, people will be able to abuse this technology or, like, blackmail people. Go, look, I've got video of you sucking off a donkey. I'm going to send this to your parents unless you wire me $2,000. And even though it's fake... Like nobody's gonna want to have to sit there with their parents looking at the donkey sucking video and go like it's not me, it's a deep fake. Are your parents even gonna know what a deep fake is? Like they're gonna go a deep fake. What is all I know? That's a donkey, Sheila. That's a donkey. We raised you better than that, darling. Wow, that got weird. Um, um, you just call it all fake news. Yeah. The only thing we'll be able to trust is our own eyes. Eventually. Maybe the natural end game of this is where you are right now. Is we all just go, well, nothing's real. You can't, you can't trust anything. So I'll just, you know, turn off Fox, turn off CNN, close the New York Times, and just go and work in the bar. It's pretty sweet. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I'm. Jealous. I wake up every morning. I don't check Twitter anymore. No, it's a good move. I think it's um, very, it's very refreshing. Let's talk about this book. That you're working on the the GameStop book. Um, so this was a like a huge news story. Uh, what like was it? When did it happen? Three years ago? Four years ago? Uh, three years ago at the end of this month. Okay. So so it's been a while, and you've been working on the book, yes. and we'll just give people yes. a quick synopsis of what actually took place. So I'll I, I'm happy to do that, and then you can fill in the blanks or correct me if I'm misremembering anything, but. So, yeah, yeah, sounds good. So GameStop was a, a sort of high street retailer in the US, um, yeah. reasonably popular with sort of traditional gamers. Um, they hadn't been doing too well for a few years and their share price was beginning to tumble a bit. And a big hedge fund bet against them and said, look, we think these guys are not in a great position, so we're going to short GameStop. And then on Reddit, a community of um, sort of not blue collar investors but sort of like everyday people um caught wind of this and because gamestop was so beloved to them they were like well hang on a second fuck hedge funds obviously but also we love these guys so what if we all club together and then bought loads of gamestop stock and then the value of it rose the hedge fund would be fucked and we would be like shareholders in gamestop so they all went online bought shares the value and then the hedge funds panicked uh Maybe you can take the baton from me at that point because I'm not totally sure how it all went so wrong after that. Yeah. So basically, what you says is accurate. There's um, there were some people who were invested not because right at the beginning, not because of the short position, but because they felt the stock price had uh, declined significantly. Hmm. So like over the about six or seven years before this all kicked off, GameStop was one of the like constantly most shorted companies in in america like it was a it was practically like an inside joke in the financial world that like people were short in gamestop right and one of the one of the hedge funds especially melvin capital that that lost the most money on on their short position on gamestop and eventually folded um basically as a result of the amount of money that they lost they had been short in gamestop for seven years straight right making bank off of it and the price had been getting pushed down and down and down and down. 
And then there was this one guy called Roaring Kitty. Um, Keith Gill is his real name, but Roaring Kitty is his YouTube channel. Right. And Or Deep Fucking Value on Reddit. And he spotted that the company was like, the, the stock price had been getting pushed down and down and down and down by hedge funds betting against it based on the prevailing wisdom that the tide of digitization was going to destroy it just like toys r us and mm. blockbuster and you yeah. know all, all all of these massive retailers that like that went out of business and actually when when you looked under the hood and looked at the numbers the company was doing fine um they way more people still wanted to go and buy their their games in person people liked their physical discs people liked the actual hardware of of gaming more than they they wanted to just like press a button and download and more people were buying things in store than than perhaps some of these hedge funds had realized anyway fast forward a few months before um everything kicked off and a couple of people on reddit started noticing that not only was the company like massively undervalued but it had like one of the most massive short positions at, like against it in the history of finance in america like for in some estimates at some point for every share that should have existed it each share had been shorted three times like that's that's the that's the the size of the bet that that wall street had against it and they were thinking okay pandemic you know brick and mortar retailers are are going to go under you know this is just like an extension of this like thesis that the entire entirety of wall street had had that gamestop was going under and then all all of a sudden these posts on reddit started to gain traction it's like boys like this is this is this is our this is our ticket to the moon this is it this is all the money that like you could ever need in the world yeah and the price went from four dollars to 483 <laughs> in the space of four months and then robin hood and a whole whole bunch of other brokers um decided to restrict buying on yeah. GameStop and then over the next um couple of days the price crashed then it spiked back up and it crashed way down to like $40 um then they had there was a big hearing in Congress about it and then people started the people who had invested in it and decided not to sell at $483 but just to hold on to their shares started to investigate what the fuck was going on with this like how did we end up in a position where you can have, you know, three times as many shares short as shorted as should exist in the world. How on earth is that even possible? Like, how can hedge funds take out the, these massive positions? How does shorting a company work? And I slowly watched as, as like a million people were glued to their screens trying to figure out how the U.S. financial system worked. Yeah. And it ultimately culminated in them deciding that instead of selling their shares or saying fuck this they they genuinely still believe and i think they got something to what they're saying but that the the hedge funds had never closed their short positions and right. the only reason that the price crashed down was because the buy button was turned off and yeah, yeah buy side pressure collapses then it's all just sales and then the price crashes so it's not not out of the question so instead of instead of giving up they slowly started to take their shares out of circulation mm. in so instead of so what happens when you buy a share so say you go to your broker who's for example robin hood or trading 212 in the uk um you deposit your money with them then they buy it on your behalf and then it goes into your um brokerage account but like you don't actually like technically own the share what you own is like this certificate that says you own the share Right. All of the actual like stock certificates are mostly held by a company called Seed & Co, which is a privately owned corporation in America that basically acts as the, the holding company for every single share that exists in the US stock market. Right. Anyway, <laughs> when, your sh when your shares are held by your brokerage, they can lend them out to be shorted. Yeah. Right? Without you getting any money for it, even though they get a fee for doing it, and without you having any say in whether that's okay. Yeah. And that's how you end up. So um, so say someone could lend out your share to someone who will short it, sell the share to someone else, and then that will sit in someone else's brokerage account. Yeah. 
and then they could then have it lent out yeah sorted so we're going like levels deep here and this and this is why the financial system is in such a mess right it's because of systems like this but i guess like the nuts and bolts of it are like when you're when you're short selling um or shorting uh, a company or stock or whatever yeah so say josh has like 500 shares in barclays if i think that barclays are going to go down in value if i know something about barclays or i've looked at their balance sheets and something doesn't add up i might borrow josh's shares off him um publish my findings wait for the share price to go down and then suddenly the the shares that I've borrowed off uh, you at X amount are now worth less and now I can sell them back um, or like there's a there's a profit there's a margin in there somewhere yeah. right yeah exactly so you just, you're waiting you're waiting for the moment to like sell yeah yeah to, so if you're shorting the company you borrow the shares you sell them on the open market and wait for the price to go down yeah. buy them back at a much lower price then you can give the shares back and keep the difference right Boom. yeah but if you put the company out of business you don't have to buy the shares back and you keep all the profits tax free yeah and i suppose like so there's there's two ways of looking at hedge funds right so the first is that they are uh and i i spoke to a hedge fund guy on very very early episodes of um uh, of the podcast and he said you know hedge funds get such a bad rep because they you know a, a few of them are very hawkish um they do put companies out of business but he was like the way he looks at it is you know that happens a few times here and there and yes some of them are real assholes but he was like a lot of them are just quality control like they will look at a company or corporation's balance sheet what they're up to what the ceo is like what their plans for the future what the the past performance was like and they'll just go i don't think this is worth that and these are my findings and then the market adjusts itself so really what they're doing is calling out other people's bullshit in his head however the other way of looking at it or, or from my mind is that there is like you have to accept that the work that you do as a hedge fund uh has a domino effect and if you are somebody like abc capital or whoever and you go in on uh gamestop or whoever and you really want to make a killing and then you publish your findings it's not just about your findings it's about how much money you've put into that bet so if you if you bet a billion dollars that this company's going to fail there's like another 10 or 15 piggyback hedge funds out there that are going to go like oh my god abc capital have just bet a billion dollars that these guys are going to fail and so the speculation mounts and the speculate yeah, and then before yeah. you know it it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy right so yeah, it's exactly. maybe it's somewhere in between it's like some of them are quality control and they provide a yeah. decent service and maybe some of them are just like a real problem that that basically push businesses over the edge that otherwise would have been able to weather the storm yeah i mean like i'm not i'm not opposed to the idea of short selling mostly mm. um it's the it's the share rehabilitation uh, re- which is where you end up with like so many more shares being shorted than should exist. But then what that does is that means that you have that many more shares in circulation, mm. which actually like reduces the value of the individual stock because there's like far more like liquidity available and there's far more of them in circulation than should exist. So say like, say like there's meant to be a hundred bottles of wine at a party, right? Mm. And they're all worth like 20 bucks or 20 quid, right? And instead, there's actually somehow magically 400 bottles of wine. Yeah. Suddenly, those bottles of wine aren't worth quite as much because there's way more of them going around than should. So that's where that's where I have a problem. And there's another thing called naked short selling is where hedge funds don't actually borrow the shares. They just pretend they have the shares and they make the shares out of thin air and say, oh, yeah, no, we've we totally borrowed those shares. And then eventually they have to close the position and somehow go and buy the shares out in the free market. But that's not even the way it works, right? Yeah. This is the stupidest bit of the whole thing, right? You'd think that whenever um, financial institutions make these kinds of bets and sell things, at some point they have to close up their position, right? No. There's a thing called a failure to deliver. And say you said that you borrowed like 20,000 shares of GameStop and then short sold it, right? Then a couple of days later, uh, the the clearing, uh, the DTCC will come and say, oh, yeah, you know, you, you're short 20,000 shares because like 
they the clearing comp the clearing house is basically like try and aggregate everything mm. and then like work out who's short what or who owes what to what who owes what and who's not paid but if you have a failure to deliver you get like another 13 days to to, to deal with to to you know go and find the shares yeah. and then you can basically roll it over indefinitely right and this isn't just like speculation of random people on the internet. This is based on the testimony of one of the most knowledgeable people on the topic of failures to deliver, who I've had on my podcast four times explaining this shit to me. Yeah. Uh, her name is Dr. Suzanne Trimba. She is fire, absolute uh, firecracker, um, and has like 34 years of of um, experience, like learning about this and. She, it took me four episodes to properly wrap my head around like four interviews where I was like, but, but, but this makes no sense. Yeah. That's not how the rest of the fucking world works. Yeah. Right. And the general conclusion that I'm coming to in my book is that finance is just totally fucked. Like they need to go back to some sort of like physical yeah. consequences and certificates and things because everything is just like, literally that that fucking scene in the wolf of wall street it's like it's for gazi it's for gazi it's yeah it's nothing it's all smoke and mirrors but, it's but what like... i was trying to say at the start as well is that the part that fascinates me about the gamestop story is that people decided to try and take their shares out of the circulation by registering themselves directly as the official shareholders right right so now something around 60 percent of a multi-billion dollar company is officially directly registered as owned by fucking idiots from the internet <laughs> who got on the GameStop bandwagon from some fucking hilarious memes that they saw on Reddit in January 2021. Yeah. And they now own 60% of the free float of a multi-billion dollar company. But then... And that's only the ones that are directly registered. Yeah. I mean, it's quite presumably they have like a shareholder meeting and stuff, and so you know they can still like identify themselves and have a say, I guess. But yeah, it's kind yeah. of it's a bit weird that you've basically like a Reddit thread has ended up with a load of people, basically people like me, like little goof artists that are just like, this will be funny. <laughs> first no, time they've ever invested what, in anything. That's why I bought my first shares. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I've never bought a share of anything in my life, but this is funny. I like these memes. Like, I think like one of the, the most interesting things about that GameStop story for me was the moment that Robinhood stopped selling shares because until that point, it seemed like a runaway success story uh, that weirdly, warpedly embraced like free marketism, if you like. Like people were like, do you know what? I don't care if a hedge fund folds over this i'm gonna buy i'm just gonna buy more and more and then like the value of it goes up and up and up and we can all make money because we all believe in this company's vision so that's why we're buying the shares but then as the hedge fund grew more and more exposed and i, I suppose i should just sort of tie this back to the explanation of um hedge funds and short selling and what that is so this hedge fund was it mervyn capital did you say melvin capital melvin but capital they, were, they, they had the biggest position but citadel securities were were also massively exposed yeah so they they borrowed other people's shares, published their findings or announced that they were going to short. Uh, and so like the idea being that then the value of the shares would go down, then they would make a killing. However, then the values of the shares hugely soared and they were then exposed to having to find this money to then settle, like make the debt good. Um, yeah. Now... At some point, somebody somewhere must have phoned up Robinhood, which is a trade platform for those of you who don't know in America, uh, where anybody can like go online, buy shares in a, you know, I guess the equivalent of like the FTSE 100 or whatever. Um, somebody phoned up Robinhood and said, you have to pull the plug on this GameStop thing, because if these guys fold they owe money to this other bank over here and that bank will fold. And if that bank folds, all these other banks will fold. We're talking about a global financial crash that's going to kick off in about seven or eight days unless you fucking sort this out. What's it going to be? And then Robin Hood, for one reason or another, I mean, I'm just assuming this, but there's no other credible reason for why they should say you can no longer buy stock in GameStop at that moment to me. So so what, what happened was, basically, 
um all of the trades in that this is going to get a bit complicated and i'm kind of drunk so i might not i might not absolutely nail you're this, in good company josh so yeah you're fine <laughs> so um the the national uh the nscc is like the clearinghouse that sorts all of the trades basically for the entire um u.s stock market so what happens is um when you buy a share on Robinhood, you deposit the money and then you get the share immediately right yeah but because of the way the the system works in america it's called t plus two which means that like you might buy the share on this day but trading day plus two more days is when the share is actually delivered to your account okay right so robin hood we're basically saying you'll buy this and we'll say you've got it and then we will front the money in the interim period until the trade is actually cleared okay right? which means that they have to put up like massive amounts of collateral to cover the risk of of like possible volatility right so because of the massive volatility of gamestop and another a number of other stocks like in those few days it meant that their value at risk payment they got a they got a bill basically from the nscc at like 4 30 in the morning on january the 28th 2021 um the day that they turned off the buy button bastards but they got a bill for like three billion which was okay. more than the market capitalization of their company at that moment okay right and so is so, where we're headed with this is like because of that sort of effectively a transaction fee because it was so huge they didn't have mm -hmm. the money there to continue to operate in that way so they yeah. had to frustrate yeah them. i mean so the nscc didn't tell them what to do they said you have to pay this money right and then robin hood negotiated significantly with them and managed to get it down to about 1.3 billion right. and eventually down to like 700 million so we i i find it strange already that, that this like risk payment is like negotiable but we'll put that aside for a minute well it's so weird anyway, it's weird that it's negotiable but it's also weird that this explanation was not published in a clear concise manner at the time i remember it was like a news vacuum it was like people people on twitter and youtube going like i want to buy stock like what the fuck like why can't i buy stock yeah. this is america this is you know yeah yeah i mean everyone was very ready to blame robin hood for this oh yeah but ultimately it comes down to like the way the financial system is structured like it should be like instant settlement mm. like if i send you money it goes through immediately yeah. Like why on earth can a trade of the stock not be like that considering the exorbitant amount of money involved in the financial markets you seriously telling me that they can't afford that kind of tech but the, the the conclusion i've come to draw from all of it is that like all of the complexity and these like gray areas and the gaps and the the the, the sort of like you know sketchy little things and like places where where there's seeming seems like weird that things haven't been updated is because there's money to be made in those gaps yeah extremely massive amounts of money is at time i guess it's like look they, they have to be regulatorily uh, above board part of that is going to involve a clearinghouse which for those of you who don't work in the city yeah like when you when you make a trade there's uh, various stages of that being like raised and settled and um like we have clearing houses in london also <clears throat> and so those clearing houses will take a lot of that heavy lifting off of the bank or the hedge fund or whatever and they'll just go look um we know about doing this we'll take like we're, we'll take all the risk off you and that whole processing thing you get back to doing what you do um so it makes sense to some extent that the banks would be like yeah okay well that's a whole other headache that we don't need to worry about now but yeah i agree i feel like I mean, a lot of that old finance world does move so slowly, even now. Like, I remember when we were buying our house and I was saying to my girlfriend, I was like, why the fuck is this taking so long? And she was like, this is just how it, how it works. And I was like, this should be like, we're dealing with like hard copies and signatures on things. And it has to be like, like a posted original copy. <laughs> with like black biro on it to your solicitor who then takes it and signs it and then it's got to be posted back i was like this should be like a fucking app yeah i, I toggle it on i i 
you know, use my finger and it opens the thing. And then like, why does this take weeks and weeks? And she's like, this is just how finance is. I'm like, can't believe nobody's like disrupted this market, you know? Yeah. I mean, like I said, I feel like the gaps are all because there's money to be made in these gaps. Mm. For the time being, until somebody does come along and disrupt it, they'll go to like Barclays and Lloyd's and HSBC and they'll go, look, I know that you I know that you went to school with the guy that runs the clearinghouse, but if you just use this app, you know, we've been talking to the regulators and they seem to think it's okay, so blah blah blah. It'll cost you half yeah, yeah. half the amount plus all the staff is over here in India and like we'll save more money and, and we'll take you out golfing and to the strip club and all the other stuff. Like somebody will do it sooner or later. Oh, actually, which reminds me, so right, we've been talking for a while now, Josh. I need to do this week's tap dancing tosser award. For for new viewers and listeners, this is uh, this has become a bit of a staple of the show. It was a throwaway comment I I did on a, a TikTok ages ago describing a Tory MP, um, and now it's become a, a thing where whoever makes a dick of themselves on Twitter or in an interview or whatever um, uh, for that week, I will then bestow. I will gift them a tap dancing toss reward. So, uh, guys, um, there is a pillar of conservatism that is supposedly held dear uh, throughout the conservative clubs. I was going to say throughout the country, but realistically, you know, throughout the shires. Um, and that is self-responsibility. Uh, it's the idea that you look after your family and I will look after mine. If I want to better my situation, I work hard and I get on and I improve my lifestyle and life chances. Coincidentally, if you try to do something and you fail... Well, that's not really my problem or the state's problem. It's up to you to fix that. And then we can all move forward. Now, you may have noticed, dear listeners, uh, that self-responsibility has been in short supply of late with the modern Conservative Party. Uh, if something goes well, they take credit for it. Um, you know, like they played any role in it whatsoever. If you want to look at halving inflation recently, that's probably a good example. Um, conversely, if something doesn't go well, it's everybody else's fault. It was the weather. It was Putin's war in Ukraine. Covid did it, etc., etc. But also in the lack of self-responsibility column, you're going to find a young, youthful bucket of spunk called Peter Bone, uh, who was ejected from the Tory party. He lost the whip for five separate incidents of bullying uh, and also for being sexually inappropriate around a member of staff. He was fired from his job, basically. And uh, and he's now got his partner to stand for him in the upcoming by-election. It's incredible. Like, so he's lost a whip. He's been ejected. And then the Conservative Party Association for that area are like, who else wants to, like, have we got any other candidates to be like the M MP? And... He's like, go, go on, darling, put your hand up. So now she's going to be the Conservative Party candidate. And I suppose, you know, the expectation is that they can just, you know, hand the keys to the office over to her. And, you know, maybe she'll work from home, but actually it will sort of be him doing the work. Maybe. I don't know. But yeah, just a total lack of responsibility. Like he hasn't said sorry. He hasn't acknowledged any of the wrongdoing. The guy like full on exposed himself to a member of staff. Just the goal of this guy. You go, yeah, it's all right. Just no, here's, here's the keys. Yeah, yeah, she'll take it. She's she's your MP now. So, yes, Peter Bone of the Conservative or formerly of the Conservative Party. Take a bow. You are this week's tap dancing tosser. Right, guys, that brings us to the end of the show. I'd like to say a massive thanks to my guest for this week, Josh Hamilton. If you're not following him, please do so. Go on to the uh, promotional uh, tweets that I put out earlier. I've tagged him in those. So super easy for you to just like tap on that, get to his profile, click on the follow button. Um, but also check out his book. It's on Amazon. Uh, it's Brexit, the Establishment Civil War. He's got a new book coming out soon. I mentioned earlier about GameStop. Uh, so look out for that. He also hosts the Chatter podcast, which you can find on the gist.co.uk. Um, so, yeah, just go and, go and show him some love, man. He's a good egg. Um, I've got to go because I've got to jump on Labour Social immediately after this. And uh, I've got to do some vocal warm ups or something because I don't know if you cocked it. But my voice box is just ruined <laughs> again <clears throat> because I've caught whatever lurgy, you know, the bubonic plague that my daughter had. 
Uh, except I'm sort of, you know, ad amicably or admirably fighting it off. Because I am not a complete pussy who has to go to A&E over a little bit of a temperature and a cough. He said, disparaging his own daughter. Right, this has got weird, guys. I need to go. Uh, take care of yourselves. Keep it booge. Keep it Bimfluencer. And I'm out this motherfucker.